And let's go ahead and stand. We're going to begin in verse number 13. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee by the Holy Ghost, which, I'm sorry, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But, when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we will stop there this evening, and let's pray. Father, I pray again for myself and for us that we would submit ourselves to your instruction, that we would take it to our hearts, that it would shape what we do and how we think, that it would be the dominant and deciding factor in all that we do. And Father, the hostility and the apostasy that the Apostle Paul encountered has not gone away in our day. And so please make your people strong in your grace. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. Well, we are, of course, working our way through this last known of Paul's letters, certainly the last inspired letter that God had for him. It is tinged, as I have said repeatedly, I think, with a note of sadness. Certainly Paul is anticipating seeing the Lord, and this is not something that distresses him. He had already told the Philippians that it would be his preference to go and be with the Lord. There's not a note of defeat in the letter. But Paul is realistic about what is happening in his world and what is happening to professing believers in his world. He, of course, himself is in a Roman prison. And at this point in time, he has been condemned as a criminal. And he has been sentenced to death. And he is anticipating very soon that he will face the executioner. No doubt his adversaries are thrilled beyond description to find Paul in jail. But it is the abandonment of fellow laborers 
that is the forefront of his thinking. And in this letter, more than any others, Paul is ready to name names, to label and identify both those who are faithful and those who are not. And of course, he is writing this to his young protege or younger protege, Timothy. And Timothy, as we will see, and as the text makes very clear, is a long way away from the Apostle Paul. And he is ministering in another city, in another continent. And Paul is eager to encourage him. I think that it is safe to say that as Moses had a Joshua who carried on the work that Paul expects that Timothy will carry on the work. And so he began the letter by talking to Timothy about what an encouragement Timothy himself had been to Paul. That although Paul was the elder and certainly the apostle and the more senior and authoritative figure, he nevertheless derived great blessing and encouragement from his relationship with Timothy and really wanted to see him. Now he turns his attention and throughout the remainder of the book there will be intermittent portions like this where Paul is earnestly exhorting Timothy to be faithful to the Lord to the end. And in doing that, Paul has to, I don't want to say has to in the oppressive sense of the word, but Paul is eager to put Timothy's mind in the place that it belongs. If we are going to be faithful to the Lord, folks, if we are going to be faithful in an unfaithful day, it is going to require, we will get to this, a certain way of thinking. We are going to have to learn to think along a certain track. It is not the track that will be popular or will be espoused by the world, but it is something that will be necessary. And if we are going to remain faithful we are going to have to be oriented ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is where Paul takes us or takes Timothy and therefore takes us at this point in the letter. In order to get to that place, Paul brings into his exhortation two very personal illustrations. Let's be realistic, folks. There are some people, there are some Christians who are knocked out, so to speak, of the practice of Christianity because they ultimately feel that God has let them down in some way. Perhaps they have prayed for healing and God has not chosen them to healing and they are frustrated that the God who could heal them would not heal them And so they wash their hands. Or perhaps they pray for a child to come back to the Lord. And the child never does come back to the Lord. And they become frustrated with a God who could redeem that child but does not redeem that child. And they walk away from the Lord. There are those stories. But folks, the reality I would propose to you is that a far larger percentage of Christians 
walk away from church and faithful service to the Lord because of people. Not because God has disappointed them. Not because God has failed to answer a prayer. But because the constant grind of other people is very wearing. And Paul is oriented to the grind of other people all throughout this letter. And so let's turn our attention first of all to the illustrations and then what Paul does with them. In verse number 15, we have then the first illustration. Right? He has encouraged him, and we went over this last week. Verse 13 and verse number 14. Two things that Timothy needs to do. He needs to follow the pattern that is taught in Scripture. He needs to follow the pattern that is taught in Scripture. That's what is being referred to in verse number 13. Hold fast the form, the pattern of sound words. The Bible doesn't just teach a random collection of facts. It puts them together into a kind of a tapestry and paints a picture of what Christianity is supposed to look like and how Christians are supposed to act, and in particular with reference to Timothy and with reference to people in my occupation, how churches are supposed to operate, what they're supposed to do. Stick to the pattern. Stick to the pattern. And in verse number 14, they are to protect the truth. That which was committed unto you, keep it. Be a guardian of it. God is capable of guarding his truth. But it just so happens, folks, that he guards his truth by raising up people who guard his truth. His truth is, on the one hand, eternally secure in the heavens and completely beyond human touch and corruption. And on the other hand, his word is in our hands. And we are guardians of the truth. So Timothy, follow the pattern, protect the truth, and know this. There are people who will be a burden to you. There are people who will be a burden to you. Verse number 15. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. In the course of your Christian life, some people will be a burden. We need to start with a bit of geography. Again, not trying to insult you, but let's make sure we don't read quickly through what we're being told. All they in Asia, when Paul talks about Asia, he is talking about what we call Asia Minor, and specifically, he is talking about modern-day Turkey. Timothy is located in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. Paul is in Rome. If you wanted to walk, and it would be difficult to walk because at some point in time you'd have to get on a boat, but if you wanted to walk from Ephesus to Rome, it's about a thousand miles. Paul's a long way away. He's not talking about what's happening in Rome. He will get to what's happening in Rome in chapter 4. He is talking instead about what's happening in Asia. And here's what's happening in Asia. Remember Paul took his little missionary journey and he started the churches up there? Acts chapter 20, he left the church at Ephesus. 
He told the church at Ephesus what would happen. He told them weeping. Here's what's going to happen when I leave. Grievous wolves are going to enter in. They're not going to spare the flock. They're going to be forces from without and forces from within. And here's what's going to happen to the church. And now Timothy is there pastoring this church, trying to get it to go, right? We dealt with this in 1 Timothy, trying to get it back on track. Here's what you know, Timothy. Here's what you know. And Timothy is well aware of this widespread defection. 2 Timothy 1.15 This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. And I don't think Paul is speaking there selfishly. Right? It's not, it's not Paul having a little pity party. Why have they turned away from Paul? And we'll get to that in verse number 16. Why have they turned away from Paul? What has Paul done that would cause them to turn away from him? And I just want to make this note, folks. If you'll just indulge me a second, this little grammatical note, but we just need to pay attention to it. Here is one of those places where the little Greek word translated all cannot possibly mean every single individual. And we know that because of what Paul's about to say in verse number 16. As you're reading your Bibles, folks, you've always got to remember that the word all can sometimes mean every possible single individual, and sometimes it can just mean almost everybody. Here is an almost everybody sense of the word. You know this, Timothy. You're in Asia. You know that Asia has turned its back on me. You know that. The idea there is abandoned. They have become alienated from Paul. They're a thousand miles apart. They've turned away from Paul. Secular Greek writings use that same word and where it is sometimes translated abandoned or become hostile or become alienated. The vast majority of believers in Asia wanted nothing to do with Paul. Timothy knew this. Paul? Paul who? And then Paul mentions two men specifically of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. We do not know who they are. This is the only reference to them in the scripture. We don't know who they are. We speculate that they are two of the Ephesian elders. But that's just pure speculation. We know that there were many elders in Ephesus. We don't know exactly how the structure operated, whether there was one large campus with many pastors or whether they were scattered throughout many homes in Ephesus with a pastor at each home. We don't know that. It doesn't matter. Our speculation is that, right, that out of the all who have turned away from Paul, Two are prominent for their departure. And these are Gentile men, and we know that from their names. These are men who almost certainly came to Christ under the ministry of Paul. And now they have abandoned him. So, folks, Paul doesn't paint to Timothy a rosy picture. Now, Timothy, here's what you need to do, right? You need to follow the Bible. Just follow the Bible, Timothy. Follow the Bible. Always follow the Bible. It's the pattern. 
And you need to protect the truth, Timothy. Just go to the pulpit and preach the truth. And Timothy, when you do those two things, everybody will just be thrilled. Everybody will love it. People will flock to come and hear it. Instead, he says, Timothy, there are people who will be a burden to you. These are people who will be a burden. Part of the pattern of the scripture, folks, is that these kind of people will always be there. Luke 17, 1, Jesus said unto the disciples, It is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they do come. So folks, God says to us, first of all, there are some people who will be a burden. Secondly, God says, there are some people who will be a blessing. Verses 16, 17, and 18. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. So Timothy knew all about Phygelus and Hermogenes and their defection. And he knew all about Onesiphorus and his ministry of blessing. Here is another person of whom we know very little. This is the only book in which he is mentioned. Two times, two references to this man Onesiphorus. But we know this, he refreshed Paul. Verse number 16. As if he was a drink of cold water on a hot day. A refreshment. And he did this often. And here is the critical note, folks. Here is, I think, the antithesis to Phagellus and Hermogenes. He was not ashamed of my chain. See, the defection, folks, is personal. They turn from Paul. But it isn't just personal. This idea of being ashamed runs throughout the book of 2 Timothy. When Jesus was arrested and convicted as a criminal, the disciples turned their back on him out of shame. They were ashamed to be with him. They feared that his end would become their end. Now Paul is the criminal. And there is no doubt that the fear among many is that Paul's end will be their end. To be identified with Paul is to risk sharing the same fate as Paul. But Onesiphorus is not ashamed. Not ashamed. And again, you'll notice, folks, that it's all very personal as orientation. Paul has not really yet got to talking about the Lord. He's just talking about these men and himself. All they in Asia have turned away from me. 
Onesiphorus was a great blessing to me. He was not ashamed of my chain. Phygelus and Hermogenes and the others are ashamed. But not being ashamed, he diligently sought Paul out. And of course, these are the days, folks, and when there are no yellow pages or for those of you who are younger, Google, right? Because a lot of younger people don't even really know what the yellow pages are anymore. Not a lot of resources available to this man. He had to work to find Paul. He had to, he had to figure out what prison he was being held in. And this man ministered to Paul, verse number 17, very diligently in Rome and equally diligently in Ephesus. Whoever this man is, he was a great blessing. He lived up to his name. Onesiphorus means profitable. He was profitable to Paul. And so Paul desires for this man God's mercy. And almost beyond any shadow of a doubt, particularly of what Paul writes in chapter 4 and verse number 8, when he talks about mercy and the Lord in that day, he is talking about the day of judgment. That God will be very kind to this man in his judgment. There's one more note to make, folks, about this man. There's a great discussion among the academics as to whether or not he is dead. Because all of the references to him, and there's only a couple, are in the past tense. He had ministered to Paul in Ephesus, and he had ministered to Paul in Rome. And you'll notice, well actually later on in chapter 4 and verse number 19, with reference to Onesiphorus, Paul prays for his household. And we don't know this, but the speculation is that Onesiphorus has passed away. He most certainly seems to be out of the picture, which means this, folks. right? Paul's talking to Timothy. Now, Timothy, you need to follow the pattern, and you just need to protect the truth. And as you do this, there are going to be people that are going to be a burden to you. And there will be people that are going to be a blessing to you. But folks, everybody is temporary. Everybody is temporary. It's just the the nature of our humanity. We're all temporary. And that brings us then to chapter 2 and verse number 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Of course, we have a chapter break there, and we're always grateful for the chapter breaks, but I would just point out to you that the chapter break does not break the thought. In fact, the, the thou therefore is Paul's conclusion to verses 15 through 18. 
there are going to be people who will be a burden. They will turn away from you if you follow the Lord. That's Paul's only crime, folks, is that he's been in prison for being a Christian. And this has sent shockwaves throughout the churches around the world. And there are people who will be a blessing to you. They will be like a drink of cold water on a hot day. Paul doesn't say, now Timothy, you need to be like Onesiphorus. Thank God for the Onesiphoruses in this world. You therefore, you then, that's really what it means, you then, as for you, right? Here's Phygelus and Hermogenes, burden. Here's Onesiphorus, blessing. As for you, you be strong. You be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Not, don't be like Phygelus and Hermogenes. Not, please be like Onesiphorus, but be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Do not be disturbed by the presence of the burdens. They will always be there, folks. And a person, right, I mean, we know this, a person who might be considered a blessing in some circles is considered a burden in others. On the other hand, you cannot build your life around people even of the caliber of Onesiphorus. We rejoice in their ministry. We thank God for them. I don't think there's anything wrong with, in a righteous way, aspiring to be one, somebody who is a refreshment and an encouragement. But you can't build your Christian life around other people, even other good people. You have to be strong in the grace that belongs to the Lord. And Paul is not trying to be super technical or theological. He's just making a very precise statement. The strength is in Jesus Christ because he is the mediator of the strength. All that God has, all that God is, all that God does for us comes to us through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean Jesus isn't God. It just means in the person of Christ. Right? He is the mediator of our covenant. And God's grace comes to us through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou therefore, as for you, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ. Be strong in his grace. This grace will not eliminate the burden of dealing with people who depart from the faith. <clears throat> It doesn't, it doesn't eradicate those people. It doesn't make their departure any lighter or any less painful. 
Neither does it diminish the blessing of the ministry of people like Onesiphorus. But folks, if we will be faithful to the Lord in unfaithful times, it will be a faithfulness that transcends both man and circumstance. It just will. It just has to be. It will be a faithfulness to the Lord that is anchored in the grace that comes from the Lord. And we will see this again at the end of Paul's life. I mean, the very end, the very last chapter of the book. That Paul is surrounded by all of these people and all of these circumstances pertaining to these people, but he is oriented always towards God and God's strength that is given to him. And Paul will never make any claim that he is strong because he is Paul. He will always make the claim that he is strong because God has made him strong. So, in our own Christian life, there will be people who will be a burden to us. And that will be a personal burden because there has been a defection from the Lord. And there are people who will be a blessing to us. But our faithfulness is oriented in the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek that strength and that alone. Let's pray tonight.